0: This is Pat Cummins, this is Australia. And with that, a magical moment in Australian sport has been achieved by one of our greatest sporting teams.
1: Hello and welcome back to Season 3, Episode 4 of the Boundary Rider Podcast. My name is Lachlan McCurdy and as always, I am joined by Nick Savage. How are you today, Nick? Well, look, I'm feeling much better after these reports came through last night that we are going to have an Ashes series.
2: That's that's very reassuring, but um, yeah, certainly doing quite well. Cricket season is well and truly in full swing now that the NRL's out of the way. Congrats to the Penrith Panthers. Um, but yeah, let's crack on with some, firstly, some women's test match cricket. We had our Australia vs India game last week and sadly a- another draw. It's th- three draws in a row now for the Australian women.
1: Yeah, it is It is disappointing. I mean, there's a lot to dissect from that game, as you said. Obviously, Ashes as well. We've got to look at IPL, T20 World Cup. There's so much to get into today. And while the Ashes might be a big story, they were never in doubt in my mind. I want to focus on this cricket that has just happened, like you said. A draw in that one and only test match between Australia and India. A match that was 16 years in the making, but in the end we lost... I think almost 80 overs in the end of the total game played to, to bad weather. And look, I think we saw some really promising things. I think we saw why we need to play more Test cricket. And I think for the most part, we we just saw the players get around Test cricket as well, which was really exciting to see. I mean, what are your key takeaways of the match, Nick?
2: I think, as you said, certainly there needs to be more of it. It was a really It was really exciting and quite refreshing to see um, these really talented women's players actually be more patient and, and show some uh, resilience at the, at the crease. You know, every time we see them play professionally, they're either, you know, chasing down a score or in a T20 format. So to see them actually play in that long format game it was very refreshing. But, yeah, as you said, a few key takeaways. One is that I think we're at a point now where DRS is essential um, for women's test matches now. Uh, a couple of absolute howlers, unfortunately, the big one being uh, Meg Lanning, uh, Dismissed LBW to a ball that replays did suggest there was an inside edge, which was quite a, a turning point um, from an Australian perspective. But then also, young Stella Campbell on, on debut, she claimed a wicket with a delivery that, yes, yeah, certainly pitched quite comfortably outside the line of leg stump. So that was the big thing for me. Um, Cricket Australia have said that there will be DRS for the Ashes Test match in February, which is obviously fantastic to hear. But um, yeah, it was it was one of many many key takeaways from this test match, which was I thought was a really exciting
1: contest. I was really fascinated by a lot of the, the tactical discussion that was circulate, circulating around this test match. We had a lot of people obviously engaging in the match. I mean, if you have a look at cricket.com.au's YouTube page, each day's highlights are almost at 2 million views, if not more now. So there's clearly a market for it, which is fantastic. But I really enjoyed the aspect of it where people were critiquing decisions and going, why aren't players doing this? Why aren't players doing that? And, and it shows that we've evolved a lot in cricket. I mean, one thing in particular that caused a lot of debate were the tactics by both captains when it came to to uh, declarations. I mean, apparently, I saw a stat on Twitter, I think it was Hypnocourse, the the great Twitter follow for anyone interested in women's cricket uh, who, who mentioned that it was the the seventh time in women's test cricket that we've seen uh three declarations in a match and in the history of men's cricket we've only seen that six times so already it's kind of outpaced men's cricket in that regards as they try to force result. and I guess you could you could say a lot with Mitali Raj I thought they probably batted too long the fact that it was still into day three and they were batting in the in their first innings I felt like it was just too long if they wanted or needed a result and I don't think Australia deserved to win the Test match from the way they bowled poorly early on with the pink ball. But at the same time, I think Raj maybe had a kind of responsibility just to declare a bit earlier in certain circumstances to, to give Australia that chance of winning the game and put a bit of the pressure back on them to try and go, okay, the game's there for you to take. If you score the runs, well done. But if we take the wickets, then it's our match. So I would have liked more of a result in that way. But the one thing I must... Preface is I really enjoy the dialogue about there are a few people who mentioned oh it, they have a responsibility to make the game entertaining, and I think that got shut down very quickly, and I'm glad it did because that's not the responsibility of the players. The product is entertaining already, so I don't think that's the issue,
2: yeah, exactly right on that um tactical decision to declare sort of halfway through day three. Uh, I think it was actually quite a good move. I think rain was was really frustrating. But as a result of delaying that declaration, Australia went out to bat when the sun had set over the Gold Coast and we saw early Beth Mooney and Alyssa Healy struggling against that swinging ball. Uh, but obviously, shout out to the Indian opening bowlers. They were they were phenomenal in that session. So I think for that reason, that's why they didn't declare in the morning. They didn't want Australia to get a head start in what is mm-hmm. the easier conditions to bat in day-night test cricket. But exactly right. It was entertaining regardless Um People were criticising the run rate from both sides, which was hovering around two and a half. But if you look historically at the run rates in women's cricket, it's for Australia, I think in history, it's 2.2. 2. So it is already stepping up and that's the influence of T20 and format and short format cricket. But yeah, I think looking ahead, do we need five-day test matches? Not necessarily. Um, a lot of games recently have been impeded by rain, which has just been really frustrating and, and unfortunate. But it, it has been funny to see Some of the people who are suggesting men's cricket should be four days at the same time saying that women's cricket should be five days. It's just that hypocrisy is quite funny to see. But I'd love to see a Test match every home summer, You know, maybe one against New Zealand every couple of years in Australia. North Sea Noble is obviously the perfect venue for it. Yeah, and I think the other thing we need to discuss is, is there a place for domestic long-format cricket? Obviously, the longest cricket we see for women at the moment is the 50-over game, the WNCL. Is there a place, not necessarily this year and next year, but at some stage in the near future of a maybe a domestic three-day tournament for the women, um, something that sh- surely Cricket Australia will be considering in the near future?
1: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. I-, I think from the sounds of things chatting to a few of the players, they think maybe the priorities are in other places at the moment, potentially making sure in the WNCL season, each team plays each other twice. Sounds like where their focus is on. Look, I think it should be a no-brainer. I know you mentioned you don't think it needs to go to five days. I personally do. I, I think it's really important that we we give uh, women's cricket a chance of getting that result because I guess it is played at that bit of a slower rate in terms of scoring tempos um, and things like that. So it, does, it needs that extra bit of time to evolve. And I, I think on average it's about 4, 4.3 days that, they said it would, a t- women's test would need to have a result. So for me, it just makes sense to have that fifth day. And I mean, we've seen men's cricket so many times, often that fifth day isn't news, but the fact that it's there means it has the potential to go that long. And I just think having that fifth day there, even though they're bowling 100 overs a day, I, I personally have no issue with that.
2: Yeah, potentially in the age of COVID, it might be just you know another place that they can uh, find some cost cutting and having that test match remain at four days. But maybe in a couple of years, once most of the organizations have recovered from, from COVID a bit, then they can consider moving it up to five days. Definitely uh, would be, yeah, the, the, the next move, I guess. Uh, DRS, five-day matches, and sometime in the long term, a domestic competition would be pretty beneficial as well.
1: Well, the big debate that came out of the test, something that I, I wasn't expecting out of this test, the walking debate came out of it. Obviously, with mm. no DRS there, we had Poonam out edge behind. Alyssa Healy took the catch and... the kind of everyone went up, they weren't sure, and the umpire kept their finger down and put them out. She walked off. She was like, no, that's it. I've nicked it. I know I'm gone. And obviously, I think everyone likes seeing that that level of just the spirit of cricket, I guess, at this high elite level. But at the same time, it shouldn't really have to come down to that, should it?
2: Yeah, exactly right. Um It was interesting to see that Sophie Molyneux, she hardly appealed. Oh, she did appeal, but it wasn't the most exuberant of appeals I've seen. But I I found it fascinating afterwards that, I don't know if this was the same for you, but just looking at social media, a lot of Australian cricket fans were praising her for walking, whereas a lot of Indian cricket fans were criticising her and and almost saying, why would you do that? Why would you give away your wicket like that when the umpire gave you not out? Um, I think Beth Mooney was asked immediately afterwards, would Mm -hmm. you have walked? And she quite bluntly replied, no, absolutely not, no chance.
1: Yeah, it's a debate that will go on as cricket goes on for for years and decades to come. And look, I think we just had to deal with each individual case as it comes. It it clearly wasn't a Stuart Broad level edging to to first or second slip, but I think um, everyone kind of figured there was an edge there, so it was the right thing to do. Now, Nick, it means the series after that drawn test match is 6-4 going into the final three T20 matches. It is all up for grabs. I mean, theoretically, India could win the series 3-0, and there's no reason to suggest that they can't because they have been In pretty good form in the last few matches so uh, what are you expecting coming into this series
2: firstly a question for you what happens if this series ends as a draw who who takes the trophy isn't this the inaugural trophy for this sort of India Australia series
1: well I originally thought it it just was shared but I've seen a few bits and pieces on social media saying oh so that means if India win the series 3-0 Baker win the series so that suggests to me that if it's a draw Australia might retain it as they mm. maybe have some other form of trophy or hold over the match. Um, and I think maybe it, it it also comes down to the amount of matches won potentially. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I believe if it's a draw, Australia might retain it. But again, do not cram mm. me on that. That's just from what I've seen on social media.
2: No, of course. But I think the really exciting thing about this T20 series is India go into it with a lot of confidence. They... They did bat and bowl better in the Test match. Australia were completely outdone in, in both respects there. And, of course, they won the third one-day match as well. So I think, yeah, India will be going into this with a lot of confidence. They'll have their tails up for sure. And, but in saying that, Australia will have a very quick tail of laminate come back into the side. What the Aussies missed in the Test match was a bit of experience in their bowling attack, um, albeit it was fantastic to see four debutants come in. They, they, their lack of experience in longer formats certainly shone through. So, yeah, Taylor Vlamek, look after her. I'm definitely tipping her to be one of the higher wicket takers in this three T20
1: series. So just on that, Meg Lanning and Harman Preet Kaur, who we will be seeing for the first time this series. The two captains of their respective sides spoke to media on Wednesday ahead of the T20 series. They had a bit to say about Taylor Vlamek, the Australian Bowlers, and the professionalisation of the sport, and what this series kind of shows in terms of India actually being quite close to Australia.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess firstly on the ODIs it feels like they were a couple of months ago to be fair. Um, yeah, that that's um, you know we've had a lot of happen between now and then obviously the test match is a completely different different format and um, in terms of sort of momentum in the series I'm not sure how much you can read into that but you know we've, we've got what we expected from India a really great contest they've got some world class players who um, can certainly make it difficult for, for us to do what we want so uh, we were expecting that the whole way through and they've certainly played well um, sort of through the middle part of this series so you know, we come into a format again How we, you know, in a come into a format where we feel really comfortable and um, a lot more familiar with, so we're looking forward to being able to showcase what we've got and um, you know India plays this format really well as well. So yeah, we, yeah, we feel like we, we can still improve a fair bit in all three areas of the game. We certainly haven't nailed, nailed that throughout the series, so we're sort of focusing on what we can do and, and I think if we can start to, to nail some of those things for long periods of time through, through the game, I think that will certainly help us get the result that we want. Well, no doubt, Australian board and Australian cricket has set up a very good setup, and uh, they've been you know, given a given us uh, very good examples how to you can take things forward. But yeah, cricket is all about you know being being there and giving your best. And no doubt, they have a very good very good team, and uh, whenever uh, they are playing, they always give their hundred percent, and they are not easy to you know uh, beat on the field. But uh, our team if, if if i talk about our team we, we, we also have improved a lot over the years and we we have been also doing really well in all the departments and i think this this t20 series will be very excited and i think everyone is looking forward for that and uh, and it's it's all about you know being there and giving your best and it's all about how you are reacting on the situation and you cannot predict the results just sitting uh, uh, like sitting uh, outside
1: Nick, I'm going to come in right with the hardball. I want a prediction. This is going to some, be something we look back at later in the week. Who takes out this T20 series? How's it going to end?
2: Oh, I'm really hoping it'll be nice and competitive. So I'm definitely feeling two-one. I'm not sure whose way necessarily, but uh, gun to my okay, fine, gun to my head. I'm going to say India will take this two-one, and it'll be a a drawn series, which I think would be a fantastic result for the Indians.
1: I like that a lot too. I, I have a good feeling about India in this first T20 in particular. I think the likes of Smriti Mandana and Shafali Burma will play a big role and obviously a huge boost that Harman Preet Kaur is back. I think Rachel Haynes is a big loss for the Aussies. Obviously, she had that injury and is now fantastically celebrating her, her new family, which is absolutely wonderful, but it will be hard to replace her. And really, we haven't seen the best from a lot of the Australian batters this series. I think Alyssa Healy... Has struggled at certain times. Obviously, that first ODI she performed quite well. Meg Lanning would have liked to perform better in the Test match, but again, her Test match record isn't that good. And obviously, we're coming back. Taylor Vlamick hasn't had much cricket in the last few months. So it would be interesting to see what emphasis and how much pressure is placed on her. So I think India could start the series well, but I'm still picking an Australia 2 one series win. I think by the time the weekend comes around, they'll be in top gear and be looking at the goods. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back with all the latest on the Ashes Summer. And Nick, the Ashes, it, it finally looks like with a certain degree of certainty, who knows how much it's going to be, but... That England will be getting on the plane, will be coming down under, and will be partaking in that traditional five-test match summer that we all know and love that comes around every few years. The latest report suggests that after Cricket Australia put two sort of video call-ups to the squad and to the ECB on Monday and Tuesday this week, that England are happy with the conditions that have been set out. They've gone, all right, this will do. Let's get this started, and they'll be coming out. And hopefully, I mean, the schedule's still a little bit up in the air in terms of when and where, but The Test Match Summer will be starting on the 8th of December at the Gabba.
2: It was certainly worrying for Aussie cricket fans and CA when the ECB released that statement, which was worded very carefully saying that if they weren't able to put together a squad that they thought was befitting for an Ashes series of a series of this importance, uh, then they would certainly reconsider travelling down under, um, which prompted those sort of 11th-hour discussions, Nick Hockley calling up, and just reassuring the players, we have, you know, we're going to give you some, a bit more freedom than we've seen in the past. And obviously with Australia's vaccine situation, that will improve over time. But as reported by uh, Daniel Bredig in The Age, it looks as though the first uh, England touring party that comes down on it will be taken to the Gold Coast. After a few days, initially in, a, in isolation, they'll have a bit, bit of freedom to, to train, to play golf, to roam the grounds. Uh, so it will still be a two-week quarantine, but it won't be the strict window shut you know, thing that we've seen um, throughout the past 18 months or so.
1: Obviously, seeing someone like Pat Cummins get a chance to, to go up the ashes again on home soil, who was absolutely fantastic. The last time England toured here, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that battle in Australia to to try and cement that opening position. Obviously, we had Will Pekoski get a taste of it last summer and while he looked good, probably doesn't have any cement around that position yet. Obviously, David Warner is another one who struggled in his return to the side. So again, who knows whether he's going to be able to to cement his place by the end of this summer for the, th- the next year or so. And obviously, a big exciting point for me is seeing Marnus Labashane and Cam Green, I guess, start this series as established stars in this side. I mean, it's going to be really exciting to see their talents on what is the biggest home summer for an Australian cricket team. And knowing that, both the fact that, I mean, Cam Green is in his early 20s, Manus is in his mid-20s, they've both got a considerable amount of Ashes series ahead of them. So while Marnus came into the the away England Ashes series in 2019, a bit later in the series, obviously due to Steve Smith's concussion, I think it'll be really interesting to see them play such a big role for all five Test match. So that's a battle I'm really looking forward to seeing, and hopefully we, we get a really strong English bowling attack out here because obviously Australia's batters do well in our home conditions. That's kind of been accepted for a while now. And while we're not going to be seeing Jofra Archer and unlikely that we're going to be seeing Ben Stokes, Stuart Broad has said he's keen to go again. I imagine Jimmy Anderson will come down. It'll be a good swan song for him for Australia. And then got some real up and comers. I mean, Ollie Robinson has been really good in the start to his international test career. Chris Wokes, I'd love to see him come down under again and have a really good impact in this series because I think every time he's played down here, he's been a thorn in Australia's side. So there are some really exciting matchups. And while it might not be England's strongest team that comes down, I think what India proved last summer is that if you can approach a match with the right mentality, it doesn't necessarily matter who is on the park. You can still trouble this Australian side.
2: And of course, seeing James Anderson with the pink ball one last time oh. under lights, like that's that's just a dream for Aussie cricket fans. Ollie Robinson and Chris Wokes as well, like that'll probably be their pace trio if possible for that pink ball test in Adelaide. So, And of course, the Gabba Fortress has been broken as well, so we won't necessarily be seeing the series 2-0 to Australia heading into the MCG as we have for the past decade really. And. Yeah, as you said, the pace bowlers from England, that's the big thing in this series. If they can step up and approach the games in a strong mentality, then this will be a close Ashes series. Um, but if they don't, if it's just a repeat of seventeen, eighteen, and the pace bowlers are ineffective, it's hopefully not going to be a, a very one-sided affair as we've seen in the past. But
1: we've got some Ashes this summer. Great news. Absolutely fantastic. But before the Ashes, of course, the Aussie team have got the T20 World Cup to think about. Mm. The The players will be departing. The ones who are currently in Australia who are on domestic duty will be departing to the Middle East on Thursday. They'll be heading over on a charter flight there. Just quickly, Aaron Finch spoke to media on Wednesday ahead of the squad departing, and here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think there's quite a few guys that have played in the Bangladesh and West Indies. Um, training indoors or
2: training just in the nets is, is no comparison obviously to game intensity so the two warm-up games and, and the lead into the to the World Cup is going to be really crucial so we get out of quarantine I think there's three days of practice scheduled and then two warm-up games
1: so they're, they're going to be really important to get guys up to speed as quick as possible but I've got a lot of confidence in the experience of the group we've got guys who have come off long layoffs
2: before we've got guys who have come off injuries before and and it's not really all that much different when you're when you're trying to get yourself up to speed quickly I think that, that that'll play into their hands um, might allow us to be a little bit more fresher to be honest
1: Finch there of course a new father so obviously he, he's welcome a young and into the fray but is recovering from injury that he suffered in the West Indies tour so good to hear that his recovery is going well and he's excited for the tour ahead I mean Nick looking ahead of this World Cup, there's been some strong performances in the IPL from some Aussies who are definitely showing that maybe not all hope is lost yet.
2: Some strong performances and and some weak ones too, uh, most notably Steve Smith and David Warner. Neither of them have really made a big impact with the bat. They've both been dropped by their respective IPL franchises, which is particularly concerning for Warner considering he's only played two matches in the Mm. past six months and he faced, I think, six deliveries in total. So he's going into this T20 World Cup with no experience on the field. Um, And Steve Smith, oh, he's just a natural talent. I feel like regardless of form, he'll be able to contribute to some extent. But Glenn Maxwell is obviously the big takeaway for Australia. Three consecutive 50s um, playing for the Royal Challengers Bangalore. Um, he, He looks in great nick. He seems to be in complete control of his batting. He, he, he seems to, at a whim, decide where the ball's going to go. If he wants a reverse flip to go behind, point for four, he can do it. Um, he, he's obviously still powerful through mid-wicket as well. Uh, he, he especially loves the spin bowling. He, he seems to mm. really feast on on uh, the spinners once he's a few deliveries into his T20 innings. And as we know, spin is going to play such a big part in, in this World Cup. So hopefully Maxwell can continue that run of uh, attacking form there. But it's last night we saw a fantastic bowling spell from a, a somewhat a forgotten Aussie star, Nathan Coulton-Isle, four for 13, I believe it was.
1: Um, and did you have a chance to see that that bowling performance last night, Locke? I saw a little bit of it. I mean, obviously, he took some really important early wickets. I mean, Glenn Phillips is a massive one, um, the, the Kiwi batter, and then you also had David Miller there, who is so dangerous in the middle. Um, but, yeah, it was just impressive. I mean, it was a pretty good bowling performance all around. Um, um, from Mumbai when you've got the likes of Trent Bolt, Bowlingwell, Jasper Boomer and Bowlingwell, but obviously Jimmy Nisham there as well. But yeah, Nathan coulter nile he was the standout. two for 14, uh, sorry, four for 14 from his four overs. It was quite impressive.
2: I saw a very niche stat on Twitter. Oh, yes. It was, the f- it was the first bowling spell in the IPL when a wicket was taken on the corresponding ball of every over in his spell. So in every over, he took a wicket on the fourth ball of that over. Wow.
1: First ever do it in the IPL. Obviously a very important win because it keeps Mumbai's finals hopes alive. I mean, they're sitting in fifth spot at the moment on 12 points, equal with Kolkata. And I mean, that loss almost puts Rajasthan Royals out of contention. Now, Maxwell has done a great job leading Bangalore in that middle order because they are now assured of a spot in the knockout stages, as are Delhi and Chennai. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting end to that tournament. A special shout out over at Chennai. To the half, Josh Hazlewood. Uh while maybe he hasn't always been taking wickets in games, he's been pretty much one of their first picked each match. He's been bowling well, bowling four overs for the most part, and for someone who hasn't played a whole lot of T20 cricket in his career, it's good to see him really relishing playing in the format and getting all this experience ahead of the World Cup.
2: Oh, spot on. He's been really undervalued in the short formats. Um, before last year, he'd only played nine T20s for Australia in six years. He was very rarely chosen. Obviously, typically he's been rested when the T20 series comes around. He wasn't even picked for the 50 50th World Cup in 2019. So it's great that he's finally got this opportunity to prove himself as a short-format player. He might not necessarily make the first eleven side. Um, I think still Cummins and Stark are ahead of him in the pecking order, and Australia might go for spinners outside of that. We'll have to wait and see if he gets an opportunity, but yeah, hopefully he has a chance to strut his stuff in the UAE. Uh, later this month.
1: Right. So what we're hearing from all of this is that Australia are certainties to win the T20 World Cup, as Nick has proclaimed. And what? <laughs> Why did I say that? That's, so... <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. Words out of context. <laughs> You're sounding <laughs> excited about the tournament. You, that's what I'm hearing.
2: Oh, they are in the group stage of death. As we all know, the West Indies, England, and South Africa all in their group, which is fairly daunting, but stranger things have happened in the world of cricket. So keen to see that start in, oh, where are we? About two weeks
1: from the start of the tournament? Yeah, it, it is super exciting. And obviously the time, time zone is not going to be too friendly for Australia, obviously coming off the Olympics. I love those time zones. But, yeah, no, we, we won't be mm. – we'll be having to stay up late into the night and you and I will be doing that to watch the Aussies in action. So we can't wait. Take a bit of a quick break and then we'll be back with some domestic cricket news. <laughs> Nick, domestic cricket, we're finally back after that Queensland-Tasmania postponed match up in Brisbane. The two sides will be doing battle from Thursday in Adelaide. Good to see that match finally underway. Obviously, it means we'll, we'll miss a few of the players who are set to head over to the Middle East for the T20 World Cup. No Mitch Swepson, obviously. No Matt Wade for Tassie. I mean, it's seen a surprise for the Tigers. Bo Webster will be captain for that Shield match. So that's a bit of an interesting selection there, but still two relatively strong sides. Obviously got the likes of Michael Nees and Manus Labashain for Queensland and someone who um, I saw that I was like, okay, that's quite interesting. Gurinder Sandhu has been included in the Queensland mm. squad. So good to see him pick up another sort of domestic contractor and still be involved in the Sheffield Shield scene.
2: Yeah, exactly right. He was obviously a big part of the New South Wales squad a few years ago. Um, he actually got selected in the Australian one day team for a couple of games and performed very commendably. Um, but then certainly fell out of favor with that really strong New South Wales side has revamped his career down in Tasmania and certainly be great to see him hopefully make a contribution in this, in this Sheffield shield game. Um, and yeah, obviously a really exciting talent, but yeah, Bo Webster. Now, I don't think he's any captain Denny Tasmanian games before, which is an exciting accolade for him, but uh, just on paper, it looks like a, fairly comfortable queensland win to be honest a lot just a lot more experience and class in that queensland side but regardless sheffield shield let's get it back underway we we've had that news obviously that victoria and new south wales won't be leaving their their states until the christmas break which is a bit disappointing but hopefully a couple games at the scg would be great for us considering we both live just a short drive away from the venue
1: Look, I'd I'd take the SCG, I'd take Hurstville Oval, I'd take North Sydney, I'd take Des Moines. Hopefully we just see some cricket in Sydney. That would be fantastic to see. Just one mm. person I really am looking forward to seeing in that Tasmanian side, especially since they've lost a few players. I'm really hoping Ben McDermott picks up where he left off last summer. I thought he started to prove himself in the Red Bull game a bit more. Obviously, that Australia-A game, he, he looked quite sold there against India. So, hoping he can kind of lead from the front in that Tasmanian middle order, which would be exciting to see. I mean, the other big news, obviously, WBBL only a few weeks away now, barely even a few weeks away. I think the, the players who were from New South Wales and Victoria will be coming out of quarantine on Thursday and lots more signings. Obviously, we've had a, a few more young English signings coming down under. We've had some more Indian signings announced. Harmanpreet Kaur will be playing for the Renegades. Um, so exciting to see the Indian T20 captain coming back to the competition. But Dana van Nierkirk, uh the this devout Sydney Sixer almost, is headed off to Adelaide to join the Strikers. Yeah, after, I think,
2: four or five years and two titles with the Sixers, she's part ways with the club and a big, a big signing for the Strikers, obviously. Um, strikers somewhat have underperformed in the competition over the past few years. I can't even remember them making a final. Uh, it's at least been a few years since that happened. So hopefully they can stamp their authority over the competition a little bit. And in the men's competition as well, we've seen... Colin Munro re sign for the Scorchers. Um, I was quite surprised that Munro didn't make the New Zealand T20 World Cup side. Um, but for the Scorchers, he was their highest run scorer last year. He was a big reason they made the final. So, yeah, big pickup for the men's Scorchers side as well.
1: So, just to quickly run through where all the sort of international players have landed for the WBBL, uh, we've got Laura Volvart and Van Nierkirk at the strikers. We've got Bosch and Nadine de Klerk at the Heat. Uh, Dupree, Gosh, and Rachel Priest at the Hurricanes. And then the Renegades, have got Jones, Hammond Corps and Jemima Rodriguez. So two great signings there. We've got Maya Bouchier, the young English uh, superstar. She's looking fantastic. He's set to join the Melbourne Stars, along with Kim Garth and Smith. Uh, obviously, the Scorchers had their squad locked in for quite some time. We have the, the wonderful Sri Lankan batter, Adapatu, Sophie Devine, and Marazan Cap. That, that's going to be a team Oof. to beat when you've got Beth Moon wow. there as well. The Sixers, Shafali Verma, as we mentioned in last week's show, will be opening the batting with Alyssa Healy. Cannot wait for that, as well as Radha Yadav. And then the Thunder have brought in Smriti Mandana, who has been incredible this, this Australian-Indian series. He's probably been India's player of the tour so far, as well as Sharma and Izzy Wong, um, the young English quick. So some really exciting names, a, a lot of different names. We're not seeing the likes of Heather Knight, Tammy Beaumont, Nat Siver, who we've seen a lot of these tournaments. Uh, and we're seeing some really new international talent, which is kind of exciting. And so cannot wait for that tournament to kick off down in Hobart very soon.
2: I feel silly that we didn't mention Mandana while recapping the test match. She obviously player of the match, batted for most of the first couple of days and broke a lot of records in the process. High score by an Indian down under in Australia, I think was the highest score by a touring women's player in Australia as well. So, Staff of the Future as well. And she got a shout-out from Sasha Tendulkar on his famous Twitter account as well. So, yeah, congrats to her. It was one of the highlights of the
1: series to today, that innings, for sure. Without a doubt. And, and look, there's been so much cricket happening. There's so much cricket to look forward to. And, and Nick, as always, it's been a pleasure to talk through it all with you today. Uh, what have you got planned for the rest of the weekend? How much cricket will you be watching?
2: We've got Freedom Day coming up, hopefully. I mean, fingers crossed that next week we'll be able to oh, go to the pub. Oh, go to the pub lock, how much I've missed it. And just preparing for cricket season as well. I, I hit the nets this morning, pretty pretty rusty to say the least, but um, hopefully you and I will be back out with Northbridge Cricket Club sometime this month even would be fantastic. But yeah, certainly in the world of cricket, a lot of watching the T20s the from Australia and, and India and
1: the IPL, a lot of
2: more late nights there for us as well, no doubt
1: and remember if you want to get prepared for this summer if if you want to if you want to be go watching cricket if you're listening to this and you haven't already make sure you go and get your vaccine cuz it's going to be the our fast track into cricket grounds this summer so yeah that's going to be really exciting to see nick thank you again for joining me and we'll catch you next time